Hello and welcome to another episode of the Visual Politics Podcast. In the one today we're looking at, we've got the audio of a video that originally aired on the 24th of March 2019. The title of this video was Is Israel in the Hands of Radicals? And it kind of takes a look at Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, the leader of Israel, and what he's done to kind of keep power and how he's had to work with some on the radical right in order to to kind of keep things moving for him. Uh, it was an episode that had a few things I'm going to need to dive in and explain here from the future because obviously it was uh, video first, so not designed for audio, but we're fixing these things up so they sound good as a podcast. And I'll explain as we go through it. And let's get into the show. America is winning again. America is respected again because we are Okay? Politicians from the most extreme, radical, and populist right-wing parties are enjoying a bit of a boom time at the moment. The United States, Brazil, Hungary, Italy, these are just a few examples, and it seems that Spain is also heading down that same path. You are Spain fascists, they'll call you. Do you want to defend the Spanish borders, the walls of your homes? Xenophobes and fascists, they'll call you. That's from Vox Espana. The characteristics of the various groups, they differ by country, but the mix of populist policies with authoritarian and xenophobic undertones is something that they generally all seem to share. There's one country, however, where due to its history, we really wouldn't expect this type of movement to gain any grounds. I'm of course talking about Israel, and let me tell you that the changes we've already seen there are quite striking. 70 years of history have shown us how a state created along socialist lines has taken a 180 degree turn on pretty much every level. It's gone from being the land of agrarian kibbutz to a paradise for technology startups. It's gone from being an eminently secular state to a place where religion has gained a force in state affairs. And it's gone from being a nation dominated by bipartisanship to a fragmented political scene in which the Lukud's right wing almost always wins. You ordered a babysitter? You got a babysitter. Who will grow our economy? It's either us or them. And you know it's us. Only the Likud. We have an incredibly uh, critical election. I want your support. I think, uh, I think it's important for the future of the country. You see, Israel has a parliamentary system, and more importantly, it has a single constituency. This encourages political leaders to create their own parties anywhere in the state, which has led to a very fragmented parliament. Do you remember the 12 tribes of Israel that were so widely spoken of in the Bible? Well, one more tribe, one less, that's the number of political forces in the Knesset, the Israeli parliament. The Knesset is important for every Israeli citizen because the laws passed here and decisions taken affect directly every one of us. This extreme fragmentation has led to what is already almost a tradition in Israeli politics, coalition governments. With so many parties in the chamber, agreements between multiple forces to shape the various governments are inevitable. This makes negotiations complex and lengthy, and governments, it makes them quite unstable. No, 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 friends. We do not clap hands. Not before. Not after. Not at any stage. We answer to theater. We are at the Knesset. This is well known by one protagonist in particular, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's aiming to run for his fourth consecutive term in the next elections. He's an expert in pacts and coalitions. These are tactics and strategies that have kept him in power, but which have also driven him more and more to the political right. So listen up. 
Can you imagine how hard it is to stop Ronaldo from scoring a goal? Good to see you. Well, thank you. Listen, Israel is strong, but it's indestructible now. <laughs> Bibi, the leader. The reputation of Netanyahu, the political leader who has transformed Israel, has been marred, and his future, it seems, uncertain. Israel's Attorney General has announced his intention to indict Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on charges of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust, endangering Mr. Netanyahu's political future. But this is not the first time he's been accused of viewer. If Bibi has learned anything, it's how to escape unscathed from political problems. Also, if you want to get to know this character just a little bit better, do check out our video on him. He's a politician, but he's not just any politician. His biography is what you'd expect from the protagonist of a best-selling political fiction novel. And side note, Netanyahu himself shared a part of that video on his own Facebook page. Are you kidding me? We'll leave the link in the description below and also at the end of this video. But let's go back 10 years ago, after the fall of the government that was led by Ehud Olmert, who incidentally was later convicted of corruption. It was at this point that Netanyahu returned to power. And this is where our story begins. I said, Rebbe, I came to see you. And he said, just to see, not to talk. See, at that time, right-wing parties were the majority, but still, Bibi managed to gain the support of a divided Labour Party. What followed were four years of stable government in which the only thing Netanyahu couldn't move forward on were his last budgets. Then, in the following elections in 2013, Netanyahu won, and on that occasion, a coalition was formed with centre parties excluding any extremist religious groups. However, this understanding had only lasted for two years. We only have a few days left to close the gap between the Likud and the Labor. Otherwise, there exists a very real danger that Sipi, Livni, and Baji Hazog will be the next prime ministers of Israel with the support of the Arabs. The problem at the time wasn't the economy. Netanyahu came to power in the midst of the global economic crisis, but with him at the helm, things have generally gone pretty well in terms of economics. Here you can see how Israel's GDP has evolved compared to that of the United States or Germany. Shown on screen is a graph from the World Bank. It shows the GDP of the USA, Israel, and Germany from 2009 to 2017 in US dollars. Israel raises from 100 in 2009 to 134 in 2017, whilst the USA and Germany rose from 109 to 119 and 118, respectively, over that same period. On the flip side, things in Gaza have gotten worse than ever with Hamas. That's why the coalition with the center parties fell apart and Netanyahu's leadership was once again left for the polls to decide in 2015. And it was precisely during this period that a good chunk of Benjamin Netanyahu's government became markedly more right-wing. You see, although Bibi won the elections again, he had no choice but to form a coalition with five parties, ranging from the center-right to the ultra-Orthodox Jewish extremists. One of his coalition partners was a super-conservative political party that doesn't even accept women into their ranks. Yep, you heard that correctly. That is happening in 21st century Israel. 
The fact is, this prime minister has been changing his travel companions based on his needs in order to form a government. How did I get in this taxi? But all right, you might now be thinking, well, come on, Simon, this does happen to a lot of governments. And besides, Netanyahu has always been a right-wing leader, and, you know, his results, they kind of been generally pretty good. So what is it that has set off alarm bells, and why is Netanyahu suddenly being accused of plotting what many claim is the most radical government in the history of Israel? Well, listen to this. The Jewish Law Friends, the ultra-Orthodox movement is becoming extremely popular. The Haredi, as they're known, they are growing and growing. And you might be wondering, well, you know, what's the big deal? Well, because most ultra-Orthodox Jewish families, they're dependent on state aid due to the fact that half of all Haredi men don't work. Instead, they dedicate themselves exclusively to studying the Torah. For them, there's nothing more important than studying these sacred texts. The ones who do work in these families are women, but under very particular conditions. They have to do so in places that have separate workplaces for men and women. The dining room must serve kosher food, and they must respect the Sabbath. But that's not all. The burden of managing the home and the family, it also falls on women, and we're talking about pretty large families here. On average, there are around seven children born to these families. So with the strict conditions needed before they can even consider a job or to study, coupled with their extensive duties taking care of their homes and families, the available jobs are usually very limited and precarious. You can see why most ultra-Orthodox families live off state aid instead. And on top of that, with so many children, the Haredi population is booming. The number of ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel has surpassed one million people for the first time, and by 2065, they're expected to represent one-third of the country's total population. In other words, the ultra-Orthodox are becoming more and more numerous and therefore becoming more significant from a political and electoral point of view. So the question is, well, what has Netanyahu done about all of this? Well, here's where it gets curious. When he was Ariel Sharon's Minister of Finance, he drastically cut subsidies to the Yeshivot, the ultra-Orthodox school for rabbis. However, a decade later, when he needed the Haredi parties to form a government, you can probably guess what happened. This quote is from the Jerusalem Post. Yeshiva budget hits all-time high after Israel approves new increase. We're talking about money being used to fund more than 100,000 ultra-Orthodox men in order to dedicate themselves exclusively to studying the Torah. Obviously, the more money they have for their religious studies, the less incentive they have to work. It was for precisely this reason that Bibi defended cutting these subsidies in the past. Well, folks, since Netanyahu has needed Haredi political support, their budget has absolutely skyrocketed. No surprise. But just hold on a second, because this is basically a drop in the bucket compared to what we're about to tell you. The most controversial measure that Netanyahu's government has taken has been the nation law, which declares Israel as the nation-state of the Jewish people. You see, Israel was founded on the ideal of religious freedom. In fact, 40% of Israelis of Jewish origin declare themselves as non-religious. They're non-practicing, they're agnostic, and they consider that state affairs must be completely secular. In addition to these agnostics, 20% of the population isn't Jewish at all. But in spite of all of this, the new law declares that only the Jewish people have the right to self-determination in the Israeli territory, and the Jewish settlement in Israel are no less than of national interest. In another visual politic video, we've already discussed what's happening with these settlements and how they're now suddenly of national interest. But the nation-state law, it goes even further. For example, it also eliminates Arabic as the official language in Israel and establishes the Hebrew calendar as the state's official calendar. 
So in short, the idea of a secular and inclusive Israel, it doesn't seem to be going that well. To top it all off, the law has been approved for inclusion into the fundamental laws of the state, a set of laws that are something equivalent to a nation's constitution. But what does this all really mean? What it means is that the law seems to give priority to Israel's Jewish nature over its democratic one. Today, some citizens feel that they're second class or that the state has stopped being secular. As you can imagine, the Arab population, it certainly hasn't remained silent on the matter. From Haaretz, Israeli Arabs challenge nation-state law in top court, most extreme principles since end of apartheid. But I mean, some of you are probably thinking right now, yeah, but Arabs complaining about Israeli politics, not exactly something new. Well, that may be so, but they're not the only ones. From Haaretz, Druze protest nation-state law outside Israeli party leaders' homes. Politicians vow to fix legislation. But this isn't the only area in which religion is influencing change in Israel. Netanyahu's latest challenge. Folks, the National Defense Forces are the most prestigious institution in Israel. No one has done more than the army to guarantee the survival of the Hebrew state. Historically, Haredi students were exempt from the almost three-year compulsory military service in Israel. However, there has been a tremendous judicial battle between the ultra-Orthodox and those who oppose this preferential treatment, and it's been going on for 20 years. And it's precisely here where the ultra-Orthodox parties have most asserted themselves. In exchange for their support of Netanyahu, they have bashed out new formulas for exemption and postponement of military service for the Haredi. But folks, the justice system has checked Bibi himself, and now the ultra-Orthodox, they're up in arms. From Harris. Israel's high court strikes down exemption of ultra-Orthodox from military service. So it seems that in order to stay in power, Netanyahu has been willing to grant all kinds of concessions to the ultra-Orthodox parties, which has slanted Israel's policy to levels never seen before in the state. This, dear viewers, is the leader's dark side. Remember, this is the same man who, as we previously told you, was instrumental in Israel's enormous economic success. The next elections are going to decide his future, which is bolstered by his good diplomatic track record with the Arab countries and by his alliances in Africa and Asia. But it is also precarious due to serious allegations of corruption. So what can we expect? Well, this is going to be a hard one to call, but as always, when it does happen, we're going to tell you about it right here on Visual Politic. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Visual Politics Podcast. Please do consider having a, heading over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, uh, your, your podcast material and leaving us a review. We really do appreciate it. And I'll be back real soon with another episode.